I'm not afraid to say I have questions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff. I've got a list for God, you know. It's like, you know what? Explain this one to me. Explain this one to me because I don't get this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't feel compelled to have to know all the answers right now because in some cases I don't think there are answers to be had, you know, until we get to the next life. But um, for me, the whole purpose of the, the blogging is to be a, an orthodox, supportive voice of the church and the brethren. I've seen way too many writers that, that jump into blogging with, uh, with good intention and then they get caught up in stirring the pot or providing a venue for alternate voices or a platform for spreading doubt rather than faith. Yeah. And I just went, I've just been trying really hard to stay on the side of, of always being a sustaining voice. Yeah. Glad to be able to share this episode of The Cultural Hall with you. As a matter of interest, as this is released in actual real time, if you're listening to this in the future, sorry that I have to tell you about this now, uh, but we are a little less than 10 days uh, before the end of 2021, which means you have a little less than 10 days to become a year-long subscriber to our uh, Patreon page. Now, you can go to patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall at any time, and you can get a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group as well as being able to get access to all of our old episodes. Uh, you can do that anytime, but if you want to save 10%, you got to do it before the end of the year. Go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. There's a $5 tier. That's $5 a month. Uh, or if you do it for the entire year, you can get it for $54 instead of $60. You could do $10 a month, which, yep, I'm going to do some math here for you for a minute. You can get it for $108 as opposed to $120. Uh, And then there's also the $25 uh, tier, which you could technically get for like $270 instead of the $300. I encourage you to go and to do the year-long membership right now. Saves you some money. I know you're spending that 10% somewhere else, so uh, save yourself 10% here. Patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. It's not just for kicks and giggles. This stuff costs money, you guys. Money. Cha-ching. De Niro. You know, other names for money. Listen, go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. It would mean a lot to me. And that year long subscription will end at the end of this year. You'll still be able to do month to month. Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Here's this episode. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, We're going to get fancy uh, right before we hopped on with Brad McBride. I asked him if he was a Bradley because he's the author of a book, and on the front cover of his book, it refers to him as Bradley. Uh, He wants us to call him Brad. Welcome to The Cultural Hall, Brad. Thanks. Glad to be here. Now, uh, I'm excited to be able to visit with you. We should take a moment and give a shout-out to uh, our old friend, the Reverend John Dye, who was the one who connected the two of us and said, hey, you know who to, you, you know, you guys should talk. And I said, okay, yeah, you bet. We've tried a couple of times, but the holidays get crazy. Uh, and so I'm grateful to be able to connect with you. Now, you might hear the name Brad McBride, and I've never done this before, Brad, actually. Uh, as your introduction, I went to your Facebook page, and you know how we can um, pick the words that sort of introduce us to the world? I thought that yours was particularly um, interesting. I wanted to share. Uh-oh. So Brad McBride, who is formerly the middle-aged Mormon man, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, he is a husband, a father, a grandpa, a wiseacre, 
an author, a blogger, an entrepreneur, and all of those performed with profound finesse. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm willing to take a, a, a part of any of those. Maybe we start with the formerly middle-aged Mormon man. Uh, tell me about that. Well, about actually, uh, it's the name. My original name of my blog was Middle-Aged Mormon Man, mm-hmm. and I just celebrated my eleventh birthday blogiversary yesterday. Happy so, blogiversary! Thank you. Um, about eleven years ago, I was released as a bishop, LDS bishop, after five years, and I suddenly had all this free time on my hands, uh-huh. <laughs> and I had. I still had something to say. I no longer had a pulpit of my own to say it. And so I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll take a stab at blogging. But in deference to the new bishop in the ward, I didn't want to jump in the blogging and put myself out there as any kind of leader. Mm -hmm. So I launched my blog anonymously as a middle-aged Mormon man. And for the first four years, I was anonymous. Well, Which was interesting because like the first few months... Um, I was mostly just doing it for me, mm-hmm. keep myself mired in the scriptures and thinking deep thoughts. So, so was and it thing? Was it things like here's a, a a daily prompt? You know, when we read in this, we have this, and maybe here's a takeaway. So it was it was grounded in religious nature. It was an attempt, it still is, an attempt to straddle that wonderful line between humor and religion Mm. without being sacrilegious. Uh So a lot of it was silly stuff, a lot of it was religious stuff. Um, And I did that for a few months. After a few months, I ended up starting to build a following, which really struck me as odd. Uh (laughs) I didn't know, I I didn't know, I don't think I'd even read a blog before. And uh, after about three months, I told my wife. Oh, so uh, you didn't even tell her to begin with? Nobody knew. Nobody (laughs) knew. And, and by the time I told her, I was a, a couple of three months in, and I already had a following, uh, getting to be a pretty loyal following. And after about a year, I told my kids and my people in my ward and neighbors and friends, and they're kind of like, seriously, I've been reading that. You know, <laughs> one, one of the weirdest events ever is I was sitting in sacrament meeting, and a lady got up and was bearing her testimony and was quoting something from the post I'd written that morning. <laughs> and I'm going, this is really weird. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so I blogged as middle-aged Mormon man for for about four years, and Facebook was one of my main distribution areas, and they came down on anonymity. Anonymity? Mm-hmm. Too yeah. early for that word. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to come. I had to. Uh, you can say come out. You had to come quality. out. You had to come yeah. out as middle-aged Mormon man. It's fine to say that. I had to come out. Yeah, I had to come out. Now, now, and, uh, and that was fun. I have to ask though, because uh, the. Like, it's a completely different project when you go from, you know, I'm this anonymous person writing about these things. And, you know, if it's funny, it's great. And if it's not, it's not. And it doesn't matter because people don't know who you are. But at the point that you're like, this is me, there, it's a whole different shift in ownership. It is. One of the things that was really satisfying about doing it anonymously is that I knew that people were reading it because of what I was writing, mm. not because of who I was. Mm. Right. It wasn't because Aunt Doreen was reading it because I'm her nephew and she loves me. These were people that were reading it solely because they liked the content. Hmm. Hmm. So I like that. But coming out, there were some benefits because suddenly I could go to writers' conferences and meet people and and uh, put out there who I was, which was enjoyable. Um, 
So, so I want to pick up a couple pieces, then we'll come back to this, because obviously uh, with your novella uh, that we'll chat a little bit about later in one of the, in the uh, later blocks of the Cultural Hall, uh, you're married. Tell me about uh, how long you've been married and, and sort of life that led you to this point. Okay. Um, I've been married for 35 years to the same woman. We have five kids. Um, We were the classic BYU couple. I was the gospel doctrine teacher, and my wife came into the class, and, you know, they just rolled out like 8 million other BYU romances. Now, now wait, though. When you say that it's like every other BYU romance, it's less than a year from meeting to marriage, then. Oh, yeah. It was seven weeks dating to engagement, (laughs) three months months later marriage. Good. And, 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 And I'm starting to think it might last. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what with this thirty-five years? I mean, don't, don't, don't assume. Don't assume. They say every day you have to make the choice. Uh, yeah. So, what was it? Let me just because I'm curious about this, and 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 you're able to look back and sort of laugh at it as the foibles of youth. But like, she walks in the room. Is it one of those things where it's like that? That woman will be my wife. Like, is it that quintessential BYU romance? Uh, at, at the risk of getting crap for this later, I will say it was kind of the other way around. Oh. She, noticed, she noticed me when I was teaching, and she liked me and told a mutual friend that she liked me. Uh-huh. It might have been something as trivial as she liked my hair. Uh-huh. But, of course, me being a 24-year-old RM on the prowl, uh-huh. any, any uh, positive reinforcement is going to make me move on it. So mm-hmm. uh, from there, I took her out and... And that's all she wrote. Yeah, uh, and then the uh, the five kids was it always intended? I mean, that you you're sort of on the cusp. If I'm if I'm putting age then together, right? You're sort of on the cusp when the bigger families like five has has started to wane. Was it always the desire to have kind of a big family like that? We talked about that after about three kids, though. We uh, after our fourth kid, we had a miscarriage, and so we kind of thought maybe mm-hmm. we're done. But then had that very familiar. Uh, feeling that so many have experienced that, yeah, we're not quite done yet. We brought one more, and that was the fifth one that finished us off. It, it, and that, he didn't come along until we were 40, so that was kind of weird because oof. I'd go to the elementary school, and people would be, oh, it's nice you could bring your grandpa with you. <laughs> what's, the, what's the separation between four and five? Five years. Okay. Okay. So, like, I've I've met some folks because I'm about right in that age range, and they're having their last, you know, they're having their caboose child, and it's been twelve or thirteen years, and I just yeah. am like, oh my gosh, why? How? What? I mean, good for you. I'm all I'm on board, but also that seems like start. That sounds like you know, sitting the hitting the reset on the whole thing. Um, it, it is. I've seen. I've got friends like that, and it's either a congratulations or an oops. <laughs> I always like to tease that, right? Yep, Heavenly Father blessed you. Could he could have done it a little earlier? Could have done it a little earlier, and I wouldn't mind it. Right. Uh, now I got to ask you this: uh, You also, within your Facebook, uh, you talk about being an entrepreneur. What's that entrepreneurial part of your life? Um, I've run my own business um, in advertising, mostly in print, which supposedly is a dying industry, but here we still are, thirty yeah. years later. Yeah. Radio's and, uh, dying, and so's TV, though, Brad. Of course, everything yeah. is. All yep. communications. Yeah. You know, of course, TikTok's winning. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I've just been, I've run my own advertising agency for, for 30 years, and um, which is great because it's given me freedom to do a lot of other things. You know, I'm not, 
I'm quick to admit that I'm not curing cancer or saving the whales or anything, but I'm running a good business, employing some people, and it's given me tons of freedom to do things like blogging or humanitarian work, stuff like that. Where does your intersection with the church come? Are you a lifetime member? Yes. Uh, and, and you served a mission? I did. Where did you go? Uh, Chile, Vina del Mar. Oh, tell me a little bit about that, because let, let me think if I'm doing math right— I'm going to the 80 that's going to be early 80s late 70s early 80s early 80s okay yeah. okay tell me what it's like uh the mission was great um I was just uh ginned up for that from a very very early age you know when you sing I hope they call me on a mission that was me <laughs> and I was ready to go and I got there and I had a wonderful experience I happened to be there during that odd transition where they called us all into the room and said, the church has changed our missions to 18 months. You can go home tomorrow. What? Or you can go back in the field. Really? Mm-hmm. And what, so was that, was, what, what was that like? It was difficult. It, uh, they, they called all of us in that had been out more than 18 months, and the mission president sat us down and said, okay, here's the changes the church is making, 18-month missions. And since you're already 18 months, we'll give you the choice. You can either stay, uh, you're full 24, or you can go at 18, no harm, no foul, no judgment. Uh, spend the night here at the mission home, and then tomorrow morning you can make your decision and go from there. Hmm. And I split the difference. I was, I'd been out 18 months. I stayed 22 months and got home in time for my sister's wedding and to get back to BYU. So it was sort of a more of a like logistical decision for you. Right. Well, and I'm glad I stayed a few extra months because... Uh, I don't know. If you, did you serve foreign? I, serve no, foreign? I, ser- I served in Cleveland, so oh, okay. sort of foreign. <laughs> I honestly felt that at 18 months, that a short mission with a language is tough because you don't really get proficient until yeah. you have a year. Yeah, yeah, to be even able to speak the language. Was there sort of that thing that we do within our culture, like a little bit of like, we all know what the right decision is, that sort of posturing thing where, you, you know, oh, we're fine with whatever decision, but those that sort of... I, you know, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and serve the 24 because that's what I was called. Did, were people doing that or was it a genuine? Yeah, we don't care. 1824. <laughs> Depends on who you talk to. Yeah. <laughs> Some people were like, uh, you know, I don't need to wait till tomorrow morning. I'm out of here. You know, you get me on the flight. Yeah. I'm out of here. And other people were like, oh, I was called 24 months. I'm going to stay. And it was very little pressure either way. How long was it, do you know, that they did, they, because I think maybe some people listening to this aren't even aware that for a short time the elders were able to only serve for 18 months. I know uh, there have been times in the church also that elders have served for three years. It's interesting that it all sort of vacillates, but in this particular instance, do you know how long that change was made? I think it was only a few years. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if they were just trying to to weed the garden or... or uh, try it out to see how it worked, but I don't think it was a very successful move. And I think part of it is that whole, uh, it takes time to develop any kind of competence in in what you're doing. My dad served for three years in South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandfather served uh, for three years, Eastern states. It, it It's fascinating because to your point, you know, doing this thing that is so unlike anything else in your life, even just English speaking, I don't think that it wasn't until I was, you know, 20, 21 months that I was like, oh, this is how you do all of it. I, I, you know, up to that point, I had just sort of gained 
the knowledge of how to do parts and portions, but like to truly be able to function, probably not till 20, 21 months. Well, isn't that how it is in the church with all callings? As yeah. soon as you get good at it, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. That's why, Brad. Just so you know, why I never get good at my calling, so I can just keep <laughs> the same one. There you go. Yeah, I take the dive occasionally. Let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back in the second block, I want to talk about uh, up on the housetop, a Christmas story written by Brad McBride. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. <laughs> I want to take a brief moment and tell you about Best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that me? It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, We've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings, been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties, being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington Uh, All of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be, bestdjinutah.com. Hey, friends. Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I hope for the holidays, maybe you need to give the gift of the Cultural Hall uh, to someone in your life. Now you're thinking, the gift, what does that mean? This is free. Well, if you become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, you can give someone the gift of the back catalog. Uh, We've been doing episodes since April of 2011, for crying out loud, and there are 300 plus episodes that you can't get to unless you are a Patreon saint. So if there's someone that you're listening to this here episode with and and you know, hey, you know what? They'd really enjoy that back catalog. Give them the gift of being a patron saint. It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Another great gift might be up on the housetop, a Christmas story, Brad. Tell me a little bit about this book. Well, I had, I'm going to go way back in time. You ready? All right. Well, if I'm, we're going to, if we're going to go way back in time, we have to do the obligatory sounds that go with it, which is Right, and if this were a TV show, there'd be a fuzzy screen. Yep. But uh, I'm a child of the 60s, right? I was born in the early 60s, and one of the things that was wonderful about Christmas time was the annual showing of the classics. They weren't classics yet. They were new, like uh, Charlie Brown Christmas or mm-hmm. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Santa Claus has Come to Town and, of course, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. And back then, you couldn't pull them up on YouTube whenever you wanted. Right. They came, they came around once a year, and if you missed it, that was it. If you wanted to watch Charlie Brown's Christmas, you had to know when it was going to be on, and you had to be waiting. And it was always at some ridiculous time, like 6.30 on a Wednesday afternoon. And so sometimes you catch it, sometimes you wouldn't. Well, and, and to take that one step further, I'm assuming that this is of the time where you would get the newspaper that would print out all the TV listings the day after Thanksgiving from day after Thanksgiving all the way through the new year, and you'd cut that out, you'd stick it on the fridge, you'd highlight or you know make sure that, like you said, those weird timings of things that you would either you know plop yourself down in front of the TV or that you'd get the old VCR out and get ready to record. Uh, no VCRs yet. Uh, 
Well, then I just don't understand what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's archaic, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so if you missed it, you missed it until the next year. It wasn't until a little bit later VCRs came out and you could watch it whenever. Like my grandkids come over, we can pull up, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas anytime we feel like mm-hmm. it. It's wonderful, but it also takes away from the event nature. It was a big deal when those shows came on. Everybody yeah. gathered around to watch it. It was a it was a kind of special part of Christmas. What does that have to do with the book? It. Uh, I love the Grinch. I always loved the story of the Grinch, and I love most stories about evolutions of people, about how they they change. And the Grinch is one of them. Of course, that the classic of all classics is Dickens' A Christmas Carol about Ebenezer Scrooge, and that's a wonderful story about a guy who goes through quite an evening and has a change of heart. And, and Brad, I really wish you would have said spoiler. There may be some people who may not be a, uh, familiar with A Christmas Carol. I wish you would have said spoiler alert. Now they're, now they're going to get into that and find out that there's a change of heart before they were able to take the journey. But isn't there a hundred-year moratorium? Like <laughs> I guess. I guess it's not too soon. Fair enough. Go on. Okay, so here, so here's my thing. I love the Grinch, and I love Ebenezer Scrooge. I love what the stories represent. The thing that kind of struck me as odd over the years is that neither of them actually say the word Jesus or hmm. refer to Jesus in any way. Uh, the Grinch is, is totally secular, and as it should be, because I think a Dr. Seuss version of Jesus would be really off-putting. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But uh, in Ebenezer Scrooge... Christ is never mentioned. Religion is never mentioned. Uh, the baby Jesus is never mentioned. There's just one tiny fleeting passing reference by Tiny Tim that talks about the man who could make the lame walk. Hmm. And I thought that was kind of odd that both of these characters have a come to Christmas moment, <laughs> but neither of them ever have a come to Jesus moment. Huh. Right? And, and Dickens, I'll give Dickens credit. I mean, there's Christian themes running all through. Christmas sure, Carol. sure, sure. But it, but there's never anything that's directly about Jesus, and I was, and I thought, you know, when people's hearts are changing, you got two things that that make people's hearts change, and one is Christ and the atonement, and the other is the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be nice to have a Christmas story where Jesus can be part of it. Yeah, yeah. and and so that's what I did. It seems pretty simple, right? It'd be nice to have a Christmas story where Jesus is part of it. <laughs> I know, but the, but the two classics, which I love both of them, and they've held up really well, um, don't. So so then, is it what I can assume then? Is it it's a a similar story of of uh, of transition of change, but but heavier on the Jesus? Yes, I think that's a good a fair way to to describe it. It's a it's a man who has grown up with a pretty sour taste in his mouth about Christmas all things Christmas, and for legitimate reasons. And he gets married, has a couple of kids, and suddenly his anti-Christmas attitudes are starting to cause some conflict in his house mm. and his relationships. And basically something's got to give. And he finds himself in a really odd situation where he's forced to have some time with his thoughts and his his issues that he has to work out and... That's what the story's about. And it's a novella, which, as I understand it, does that mean that it has to be like a certain amount of pages or less? Or what is a novella compared to, like a novel compared to just like, hey, this is a book? Well, you've got novelettes, which are just like 
short stories, kind of. A novella is a little bit longer than what you would call a short story. It's like 10,000 to 30,000 words, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or sometimes even longer. And then when you get into a novel, it's a, it's a more full length, you know, 100,000 words and up. Okay, okay. Um, th- this is short, and it wasn't really intending to be that short, but one of the great lines of writing is a story needs to be exactly as long as it needs to be. Yeah. And this is how long it needed to be. It didn't need to be stretched out. Now, if somebody wanted to turn into a screenplay, I'm sure we could, you know, add some fluff. Oh, you're opting the right. So that's good. So people can contact uh, Brad. You can find him on uh, Facebook, all social medias. You can find him at formerly Middle-Aged Mormon. Now, let me, uh, I in preparation for us talking, I asked you to be prepared to either uh, read or to share some of the book. Are you prepared to do such? Uh, sure. I could do something. All right. I'm going to, let me get my snack and let me get over to the uh, listening rug and I'll have you just read a little portion of, of Up on the Housetop, A Christmas Story. Okay. I'll just start at the beginning and read a paragraph that, uh, read a, the first intro chapter that talks about, introduces him and his wife and a little bit of the tension in the home. Ooh. Okay. So, 11.50 p.m. I pronounced it as clearly as I could. Hey, computer, turn on the Christmas tree. The digitized woman's voice emerged from the little box on the mantel above the fireplace. Now playing, Oh, Christmas Tree, from the playlist Christmas. The Christmas music filled the room. Hey, computer, stop the music. The music didn't stop. I tried again, but louder. Hey, computer, stop the music. This time it stopped. I muttered to myself, yeah, right, pretty dumb for an artificial intelligence. My wife, Amy, who was sitting cross-legged on the floor near the Christmas tree, put down the package she was wrapping and looked at me with an equal degree of frustration. Pointing her scissors at me, she said, maybe if we just pronounce it computer, it would understand. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm trying to teach it to respond to computer because that's the way Gracie says it. Yeah, but Gracie's three. She'll grow out of it before you do. Maybe so, but it's sure cute now. True, but Sam, you've been messing with this stuff for hours, and I really need some help. Please? It's complicated, I protested. I have the thermostat, the outside lights, and the stereo all hooked up. This is the last thing, and then I can help wrap presents. I heard Amy say softly, by then I'll be finished. It would have been smart to stop, but I just had to get the last word in. That little voice in my head told me to bite my tongue, but I ignored it. You know, Amy, you've been buying gifts since Halloween. You didn't have to wait until Christmas Eve to wrap them. I instantly regretted it. Amy stopped and glared at me. We don't all hate Christmas like you do. Can you cut me some slack? I, I, I don't hate Christmas per se. Whenever you inject per se into an argument, you know you're losing the argument. <laughs> I just get so exhausted about the run-up and the months before and all the commercialization and all the hassle. I think it kills the Christmas spirit. It sounded disingenuous even as it came out of my mouth. Oh, so now you're suddenly worried about the Christmas spirit? Fabulous. No, really. I hate the expense and the stores and the shopping and the expense and the stress, I said. You said expense twice, and I can tell where this is going. Well, my favorite part of Christmas is the... She interrupted me with a mocking tone. Your favorite part of Christmas is the day after Christmas, because then we can just relax, yada, yada, yada. You say the same thing every year. (laughs) I mean it every year. She didn't respond. There's an old adage that says, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. (laughs) I've never quite mastered that. I kept digging. So how much is Christmas costing us this year? You know the renovation is killing us. Well, I stayed within the budget you agreed to. Whoa, Christmas miracle. Mm. 
She looked at me with exasperation. I don't get it. Do you sit around at work and think of hateful things to say? You seem to be getting better at it all the time. You can be such a... And she stopped. A what? I prodded. The tension in the room was equaled by the silence. I stared at the AI instructions on my phone, and she pushed the last package under the tree, stood up and said, I'm finished, and I'm going to bed. Before she left the room, Amy put her hands on the back of the couch. With a voice tinged with sadness, she said, Will you at least go upstairs and check on the girls? Yeah. She said one last thing, gently, sincerely. Look, I know you have Christmas issues because of your dad, but you're a dad now. Somehow you need to get past this. For 11 months out of the year, you're wonderful, but I can't live like this for an entire month every year. She stopped, dropped her head, and without finishing her thought, continued down the hall to our bedroom. As she walked away, I thought I heard a sniffle. No, I'm sure I heard a sniffle, but chose to ignore it. Had I known what was coming, I would have chased after her and tried to fix things. I didn't, so I didn't. Anyway, there's your intro. Well... You know, uh, I'm going to have to come after you for plagiarism, Brad, though, because I think all you did was record a conversation in my home. <laughs> well, I, and I've got to admit that when my kids read this, they're kind of like, hey, Dad, that whole thing about your favorite day after Christmas, that's what you say. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm caught. I'm busted. Uh, are there ghosts? Do we, get, do we get spirits from the past? Do we get uh, uh, a uh, a um, visit to the top of Mount Crumpet? Anything like that? Possibly. Ooh, I love it. Uh, there will be a link in the in the show notes where people, if they're interested in purchasing Up on the Housetop, A Christmas Story, they can just click through and be able to purchase it. I have to come at you a little bit, Brad. You just combined like different songs and movies. Like Up on the Housetop, great song. A Christmas Story, great movie. You're like, let's take a little A. We'll take a little of column B. We'll put it together and, and then have it be the title of your book. There you go. Classics <laughs> are classics for a reason, right? <laughs> And if you and if you combine them and it creates a new product, people can't come after you for uh, you know property intellectual property. That's right. That's right. And, and there's plenty of pop culture references because I wanted to write this current. I didn't want to write it set back in the 1800s. I wanted it to be today. Now, as so I had, a, to, so I had to work on my Alexa voice for the audio book. <laughs> As you uh, as you claim to be an author, according to your Facebook profile, how many books have you written? Well, I released one book, which was a collection of blog posts a few years back. And then I released a second book, which was all new material that never made it on my blog. Mm-hmm. Didn't make it on my blog. I wrote it especially for this other book. This is my first foray into fiction, though. Mm. And how... how and it's fun. How, yeah. How do you... I, for, you know, we've had uh, just a, you know a sock drawer full of authors here in the uh, cultural hall and everyone expresses that it's there there's a lot of vulnerability and uh, you know hard work what's the experience been like for you well having blogged for over a decade about religious personal stuff mm-hmm. testimony and and spiritual things i've developed a pretty tough skin because sometimes people would come after me that aren't necessarily fans of what I have to say or fans of the church. And so I have a pretty thick skin when it comes to real personal spiritual things. Mm-hmm. But I have a but fiction is new, so it's like I'm more nervous what people will think of my imagination than I am what they think about my soul. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and so that might be a little bit different for some people. Yeah. But um 
so is it, but the response has been terrific um i've been really really overjoyed with the the reviews and and the response and so that's been really really fulfilling cuz i'm still blogging sure I, I blog under a different name though oh cuz uh a few years back when uh president nelson asked us to drop the mormon uh-huh yeah, middle-aged Mormon man wasn't going to fly anymore. <laughs> did people come after you, or did you take the first step as far as that goes? Oh, I changed within a week. Okay, okay, okay. Which was tough. Sure, because guess what? You've branded yourself for years, and then you have a general conference talk, and then it's like, ah, and those that are, you know, they consider themselves among the faithful. When the prophet speaks, we listen. Right. And, and so it was like, oh, man, before the session was over, it's like, what can I call myself? Mm-hmm. And so I put it out to my readers, asked their opinions and stuff. And my wife and I were talking. One of the first ones that came to mind was the cultural hall. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, wait, we can't use that. Some some clowns already stole that yeah. name. Clown is right. And yeah. everyone else went, oh, man, he's so brilliant in the way that he came up with that. Go on. Anyway, you wanted yeah, to do so the cultural, cultural hall. <laughs> Brilliant, but we knew we couldn't take that. And uh-huh. Just nothing seemed right, and so I was reading the good old Book of Mormon and and saw the expression "Thus we see," and I thought, you know, Mormon's the only guy that can still be called Mormon, mm-hmm. and he loved to use "Thus we see" to make a point. And I thought, you know, "Thus we see" would be good, so I rebranded as "Thus we see." Uh, Thus we see dot com is the name of the blog now. And uh, it turned out to be a good name change. I, I quite like it. And have you had people that are like, man, this thus we see is a lot like uh, Mormon, middle-aged Mormon man, like people that don't realize that you're the same thing, or is it pretty is it pretty identifiable and people just followed you oh, from one to the other? It's very identifiable, and, mm-hmm. and the leap in that regard was real, real easy. Um, the uh, people know my writing and. and and it's funny because sometimes they say that you know they even see the same me in my fiction as in my in my blogging, which is fine <laughs> because it's me. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So the name change was good, but at, it's, at the same time, as uh, I got hacked early on in the "Thus We See" URL and and got put in Facebook jail for a little while because it was referring people to some horrible website, and so mm. the technical glitches of the transition took a little bit of time to work through, but. Now it's just pretty smooth. I would imagine with that, though, uh, as hard as it is to be like, okay, well, talks come out. Now I need to rebrand, figure out something else, that there's got to be people who, you know, that came and said, you know what, I bet that this was pretty tough and are now even that much more loyal to you because of your choosing to to follow what the prophet said. Yes, I, I think so. I've, I got some really positive feedback from people saying that, you know, as soon as I heard that announcement from President Nelson, I thought of you. Mm. And and then just in the most recent conference, I might have been Elder Cook, one of the one of the brethren thanked all those people who had made the changes, uh-huh. that rebranded and stuff, and and that felt good. And I got comments from people saying, "Hey, yeah, you got a shout out." Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so it's one of those things where, yeah, it was tough, but I can't imagine not doing it mm-hmm. because not doing it for me personally, and I'm not, I don't know how other people feel about it, and that's up to them. But for me, I felt I could hardly put myself out there as somebody who writes about sustaining the brethren and not make that transition. Yeah. So it was pretty much a no-brainer. It's just figuring out the right thing to do. Well, yeah, you then lead into something and you're like, well, okay, I'm not going to call it that, but like you said, you know, what what will we call it? 
You know, what right. does it become? Uh, the other part of, uh, of blogging that I think is sort of fascinating is, though, you can't necessarily be so much anonymous. Uh, people that comment can, and people are horrible. The comment sections of <laughs> blogs and newspapers and, you know, even YouTube videos, people are just terrible. How do you handle that? You know, my, my first real run-in with that was after I was starting to get some pretty good traffic and people would start writing nasty comments, I just decided I'm going to moderate all the comments and I'm not going to post the crap. Mm -hmm. But one thing that was really eye-opening was a few years in, I wrote an article called I'm Mormon and I Have Questions. Mm -hmm. And Deseret Book, not Deseret Book, Deseret News online reached out to me and said, we'd like to run this. Hmm. And I said, that's great, but I'm anonymous. And they said, we know. We don't run anonymous things, but if you'll tell our our uh, editor your details, we're going to run it anonymous because we think it's important. Hmm. So they ran it, and I was excited because it went up on the website. And within seconds, there was hateful comments, one after another after another, calling me names mm -hmm. and arguing with what I was saying and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that was fast. Yeah. And it was brutal. And it come to find out that, uh, from talking to other people and, and some of the people there, that there are just people who whose their life's mission is to watch the Internet, and when anything positive from the church or about the church or related to the church comes out, their goal in life is to try and tarnish it as quickly as they can. Yeah. And so, yeah, I got beat up pretty bad, and it was a, it was a interesting, interesting thing. I don't engage anymore. It used to be kind of fun. I'd go into the Reddit, the ex-Mormon or the oh, yeah. mormon Reddit boards and, mm -hmm. and thank them for reading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, you know, there'd be a whole thing about Brad McBride on Reddit and about what an idiot he is and an idiot true blue Mormon and stuff. And, uh -huh. and I'd just say, well, you know, you guys, I really appreciate you driving my traffic up. Sure. <laughs> just enough to stir the old pot, huh, Brad? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sure. I don't do that as much now. Um, I don't spend as much time engaging. It just it's futile, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it gets a little bit obsessive, and so I just kind of stay away from that. Yeah. Uh, do you do you get the thing where your wife uh, has to say to you, "All right, let's go ahead and put that down. Let's step away for a minute. Maybe we need to give this a different perspective." I I I consider um, that sort of stirring the pot on occasion to be almost a sport. And and one that yeah. I could win an Olympic gold medal in, and and my wife will have to come and like take the phone away from me and be like, okay, I think we've uh, I think that we've responded enough to everybody. Well, yeah, and, and because she's my wife's the same way. She's close enough to know when it's really starting to chap me, you know. <laughs> and she'll say, you know, you need to you need to step away from the phone. And it's true. She's, it's always nice to have her as a sounding board. Sometimes if I'm writing something that I think is important or maybe on the edge of appropriate, and I'll have her read it and say, what do you think, honey? Yeah, yeah. And usually she's like, yeah, you do what you want to do. But once in a while, she'll say, yeah, it's a little too far. Yeah. You, you got you to gotta rein that back in. Yeah, like babe, you can't was. call them one of the worst people that ever walked the face of the earth. That's a little too personal. Maybe, right. maybe dial it down. Use the word perhaps. Perhaps yeah. he is one of the worst people. <laughs> but like one example I can think of that where, where she kind of saved me was, I really hate the Santa kneeling at the manger thing. I don't oh, like my gosh. My oh, my gosh. Right? It right. just... 
Yes. I mean, I understand what people were... Leave my fiction and fantasy there and leave my Jesus here. Yeah. I understand what people were trying to do, but no. Yeah, I am with you. And so what I did was I took a picture of Christ emerging from the garden tomb and put the Easter bunny in it. (laughs) Because it made the point, right? Sure. Yeah, my wife said that's a little bit too much. Yeah, it is. Although, if you've got that picture, I would love to see it. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. But no, I've, I've vowed that I won't circulate it, but it's hilarious. Uh, uh, of all the things that you've ever put out on the internet, do you have one thing that is like notably your most popular? Uh, it's probably that. I'm a Mormon, and I have questions article that, that Deseret News picked up, because mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to say I have questions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff. I've got a list for God, you know? It's like, you know what? Explain this one to me. Explain this one to me, because I don't get this one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Hmm. You know, I don't. I don't feel compelled to have to know all the answers right now, because in some cases, I don't think there are answers to be had. Hmm. You know, until we get to the next life. But um, for me, the whole purpose of the the blogging is to be a an orthodox, supportive voice of the church and the brethren. I've seen way too many writers that to jump into blogging with uh, with good intention, and then they get caught up in stirring the pot sure. or providing a venue for alternate voices or a platform for uh, spreading doubt rather than faith. Yeah. And I just want, I've just been trying really hard to stay on the side of, of always being a sustaining voice. Yeah. I really like the uh, opportunity that the internet, and you know, specifically here with the cultural hall, that it provides to allow people to not feel alone, right? So we'll have a guest on, maybe like yourself, someone else that expresses a, a question, something that they're not really sure about, something that they've had to work through, and then people that are able to listen go, oh, yeah, okay, so I'm not the only person that struggled with that, so that... There are other people who consider themselves, you know, true believing Mormons and, you know, struggle with whatever principle, whatever, you know, aspect of the gospel. Okay, cool. I'm not alone. I can go on. I just, I was feeling pretty alone, feeling pretty lonely. Other people do this too. Cool. I can keep going. Exactly. That is so right. And, and I think that's one, been one of the beauties of blogging is that the people who read me, and I hate to use the term followers, I don't want anybody to follow me. Yeah, it feels pretentious, readers, right? It, it is so pretentious. And honestly, don't follow me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the guy you want to follow. You want to read. You might yeah. want to read me, but you yeah. don't want to follow me. <laughs> but uh, it's built quite a community, and there's a lot of people. Uh, it's funny that my blog traffic out of the the Utah-Arizona corridor Idaho, you know, where most of the LDS folks live, I have way more traffic from international and other parts of the country. And I hmm. think it's because those people don't have the constant community exposure to the church. And so they grab on to, to like minds, even if they're, you know, thousands of miles away. Yeah. Uh, I want to take another break. When we come back in the third block, I want to talk maybe a little bit about some of those questions, not in specificity, but I'll I'll tell you what we're going to do. We'll get there in the third block of the Cultural Hall. 
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, if you're not following us on all social medias, go ahead, take a moment and do that. It's at the Cultural Hall. You can find us on Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram. We're Twitter. We don't do the TikTok. Uh, we should probably and probably not call it the TikTok as making us sound old, uh, but find the cultural hall uh, and follow. Be, we'll ask for that pretentiousness of following us. We'd love to have you there. You can also leave a review for this show wherever you're getting uh, this episode. And we'd love to do that. Let's people know that you like it. And you can also tell us, well, why you like it. Maybe you like Brad in particular. You like his good, deep, rich voice. Uh, you like uh, the way that he set the example for changing the name for what he was doing after the prophet said, whatever. Could be for whatever you want to do. I'm not going to write the review for you. You write it, and then I'll read it. Uh, Brad, uh, when people hear questions, I know that for some that sort of— um, I think that strikes fear. I, I hope that it doesn't anymore. I hope that we're we're getting to the point where when we say we're questioning our faith, we're having questions around our faith that make uh, our faith stronger um, without being, you know, super specific. And I mean, unless you're willing to uh, in, you know, some arena or some area of this, uh, as you have worked through questions uh, that you have had, what, what has that benefited you and your testimony in your life? That's a, a deep one. Uh, I think that questions mean that you're taking it seriously. I think if you never have any questions regarding the gospel or deep questions about life and the afterlife and stuff, then you're not really paying attention. Hmm. Because uh, I can't say that, you know, I am supportive and love everything that happens in church history and church policies and all those kinds of things. I can't say that I understand all aspects of every doctrine. And honestly, the more that I study and the more I learn, there's more. My accumulation of knowledge increases, but as that increases, my accumulations of things I don't understand increases as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I probably have more questions at 60 than I did at 30, because I've spent 30 more years digging in. But for some people, they'll find themselves in sort of that thing, and and then there becomes a, an insurmountable amount of questions. Right? It's too many questions. Twenty nine questions was okay. Thirty questions is not a you know is not okay, and I'm out. How do you walk that line, uh, or how are you able to keep your life in in the, in check? That you're like, okay, there are these questions. Maybe I don't agree with this, but I know where I'm going to be on Sunday. I know where my heart and my and my mind align. Like, what has that path been like? Well, it's it's making sure that the weight of the questions never overpowers the weight of my testimony. Hmm. I mean, if you look at it as a teeter totter, you can't, you know, one more one more question like you're saying is the the straw that breaks the camel's back, and and it's too much. For me, it's it's not that's not really hard. My testimony is grounded in a uh, a very good relationship with the Savior and the doctrines of the gospel. 
but mostly is I've had many spiritual experiences in my life, and I've cataloged a lot of them in writing, either in journals or in, even in public posting. Mm-hmm. And for me to pack it in because of some questions would mean I would have to say, yeah, all of this stuff has happened to me. I've experienced this and this and this and had this witness and then seen this miracle. I would have to rewrite my entire life hmm. and my life experiences in order to let the unanswered questions win. And I can't do that. Hmm. I know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced. I've seen miracles. You know, I've, seen, I've seen Jesus quality miracles in my hmm. life. I can't pretend those didn't happen just because I don't like a policy. Mm-hmm. Ha, have, makes sense. Have, have there been has there been anything that you've been like, ooh, this is going to take a minute to figure out? Um, sure. Um, you know, there's you know a lot of changes in the last few years. Some of them cultural, some of them just policy. No big deal. Not mm-hmm. many doctrinal changes. Mm-hmm. But there's there's some issues in the church that I think that still don't have good answers, like the LGBTQ movement and how how that factors into church doctrine, mm-hmm. uh, we don't know. And I don't think the brethren know. And I think that's one of the reasons the church has had to flail around a little bit trying to solve that. Mm. Uh, and those are questions that have, they're legitimate, hard questions that we don't necessarily have answers for. But even if those questions are hard or no matter how personal they are, it doesn't offset what I know to be true and what I've experienced. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love the way that you say that you recollect those times that you've seen the miracles, because I, I feel like that really connects with how I, when I'm struggling with something, I'm like, yeah, 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 this is really hard, or I don't get this, or man, that makes my blood boil, if I can use an old phrase and continue to make myself sound ancient. Uh, hey, with you're the way with a much older man, so yeah, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, mm, this is contemporary. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I, I find myself... Um, remembering those times where either God has blessed me or I've seen a miracle or or just quite frankly like when I felt good as I've been you know living gospel principles and and for whatever reason it doesn't take those questions away but it does allow me to go okay we'll get this we'll figure this out right uh, a few years back on my blog I challenged everybody to write just for their own experience their top 10 spiritual experiences they've had in their life hmm. And I've got, you know, three or four that I've never shared with anybody, but I took the time to write them down because maybe my posterity might find them interesting. But more importantly, if I'm struggling or need a boost of faith, I don't have to necessarily read Nephi's experiences. I can read my experiences. Mm. And so anybody, I think everybody should do that. I think we should do a better job of uh, chronicling our spiritual experiences so that we have that to fall back on maybe when we're feeling a little shaky. I've always sort of thought that that's why the, the church encourages journaling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I but, believe that my blog is essentially, you know, part of my, is my public journal. Sure. Because like in the last few months, it's all I've been about, I, I, I turned 60 in September, and we went on a great vacation in North Carolina, and we spent our time at the beach and in the mountains, and it was like the most peaceful week of my life. And I thought, how can I maintain that peace? And so... Over the last few months, my, most of my blog posts and a lot of my focus is how do we find peace when everything's so nuts? And, and so that's been my kind of my quest. And so that's what I've been sharing with people on my blog lately is my personal journey 
on how I'm trying to find a more peaceful life. What's the answer? Because I can't afford to go to North Carolina right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, part of it is that, that wonderful idea of what, what Joseph Smith learned in Liberty Jail, is that you do what you can do happily, and then leave the rest for the Lord to sort out. Mm. You, you do what is within your power. And if you can start making that distinction, then suddenly the typhoon that hit Singapore or the Ebola in Kenya that you can't do anything about, mm-hmm. we embrace the whole world. With social media and the 24-7 news cycle, we embrace the entire world's woes and burdens mm. emotionally, mm. even though we don't have any part of them or any solution for them. And so I think our society right now is extra burdened because we're just exposed to so many horrific things. And so I think part of it is accepting what we can impact and then what's out of our control. And the stuff that's out of our control, we just have to trust the Lord's going to take care of it. Hmm. For me, that's been important. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, it, it, it harkens to the serenity prayer, right? The things help me to know the things that I can control. Uh, I don't know. I don't now. I can't uh, quote this yeah, serenity and, prayer and, and to, to tell the difference. Yeah, and to tell yeah. the difference, we're we're really bad Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> well, the serenity prayer for you know is, is the theme for Alcoholics Anonymous, and it, it's it's brilliant because when you can't tell the difference between what you can control and what you can't, then the frustration sets in, and people turn towards alcohol or drugs or whatever they can to try and blunt that pain. And so that serenity prayer is, is a pretty brilliant piece of truth, I think. Okay, so I got it. It's, uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There we go. We are not only uh, bad Catholics, as I mentioned, which it's not Catholicism, but also not... bad alcoholics as well. But that's the serenity prayer. Uh if people are, are unfamiliar with it. For for whatever reason, that's been interesting. That has come uh, to the surface in conversation a lot for me recently, that to to be able to control the things I can control and, and you know, let the other stuff go. Uh, Brad, let me ask you uh, three questions. Can I, can, I give, can I give Joseph Smith's version of the serenity prayer? Yes. It's the section 123.17. Therefore, this is Liberty Jail. Therefore, dearly beloved brethren... Let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. It's the same idea. Sure. Do the things that you can do, and then let the rest go. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. That's 123.17? Yeah. There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, Brad. Uh, The first one is, is, do you have a calling, and if so, what is it? I am a Valiant A primary teacher with my wife. Do we still have Valiants? I thought we didn't have Valiants anymore. Uh, I don't know what we are now. <laughs> Whatever. Eight-year-olds. The eight-year-olds. Yeah, okay. Whatever you call I, it. I'm a Blazer B. I, I, you know, some of these things I haven't heard in years. But as soon as you said Valiant, I was like, I don't think we do that anymore, Brad. Yeah. Eight, eight-year-olds. My bad. No, you're yeah, fine. I, I, just, I just show up and teach. They're eight-year-olds, so they come to you right after they're baptized? Is that how that works? Yeah. Okay. And, and it's awesome. Oh, I, I bet. I made, it, I made it to like 58 years old with never having served in the primary. Wow. I'd served in about every other capacity at the warden stake level, but I've never served in primary. And? and? Adventure. Hey, it's awesome that we're on the two-hour block because class is 25 minutes and singing time is only a half an hour. Do you have a favorite uh, primary song? 
Um, I have one stuck in my head right now. Do it. It's a new Christmas song. I don't even know what it's called. But no, I'm not going to sing it. Oh, come on, Brad. Uh, Red Book. Yeah. But the chorus is glory to God, glory to God in the highest. So it's totally Christmas. Yeah. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Um, well, I loved being bishop, but I would never wish it on myself again. Okay. Once is enough. I would like to be the guy that does the emails and the programs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, but at the end of the day, my thing is teaching. I've always, I've always uh, loved teaching, whether it's you know gospel doctrine or youth, um, priesthood. I, I love teaching, and so any teaching calling for me is is happy. Maybe you could be the, the guy who teaches the guy who does the programs and the thing and combine both go. of your, I don't know. Uh, the, yeah. last, the last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret the question however you would like. The question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Favorite part of my faith is the potential for eternal relationships with the people that I love, specifically my wife. If it seems to me that if the world understood that that's a real thing, the concept of eternal marriages is a real thing, then people would be lined up down the block to get into the temple. Hmm. Because people, I think, in their gut know that these relationships we build on earth aren't meant to be temporary, even though they say till death do us part. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's gut knows that it's supposed to go longer than that. And I think that is a motivation for uh, righteousness. I think it's a motivation for maintaining a, a positive relationship and making that a focus in life, because that's one of my driving goals is to, to get to heaven, to get to be with my wife, and to have her want to be with me. I think there's going to be a lot of guys that are surprised when they get up there. The wife <laughs> says, you know, I did mortality with you. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> that was nice. That was you. Yeah, good while it lasted. Good game. Yeah, you tried, you tried real hard. But, uh, I'm moving on. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that, that would be my answer. Uh, we will leave a link to uh, Brad's blog, Thus We See, and also uh, a link to his book, up on the housetop, a Christmas story, an opportunity for you to be able to purchase that. That'll be in the show notes for this episode. Brad, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you are if you are not healthy enough to listen this week, that you will be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row.